So good morning, everyone. I see we we're gonna we 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 like a little bit ahead of sh- a schedule, but um, I hope that you got energy. You had a late night, maybe <laughs> watching rugby. Some are in mourning, some are celebrating, some probably just really don't care. Uh, and tonight, another big one. Um, we are on a series going through the book of James, a series that calls us to Christian maturity and tells us what Christian maturity looks like, and. Um, I understand that all of us are on a journey. Everybody in this room is on a faith journey, and all of us at times will fail, and God willing, we will fail forward. And also, thank God that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So as we're going through this thing of maturity, you might think, this is where I am, and this is where I'm meant to be, and feel guilty about the difference. But the truth is, God wants to take you somewhere, and He's committed to you. That he who began a good work in you will see it to completion, and God began a good work in us as believers. So I trust that as we go through this, our hearts will remain teachable and that we will experience genuine growth. It's not just information being shared. We trust it's going to be revelation from Jesus. So, so far we've looked at how trials and temptations are a way of life and how to respond to them. Trials and temptations will come and we need to respond in a way that reflects God. Last week, Charlotte spoke about hearing and doing. Faith is more then a discussion, it is a demonstration, not because we have to, but because we get to. We, we, we get to come to church. We get to read our Bibles. We get to pray together. Um, do, should I start again? <laughs> no, I wasn't going to do that. No matter how good. Ooh, sometimes we will still take a detour. You might have been driving for many years, and sometimes you take a, a four-hour add to your trip detour. Am I right, Fricky? He's a good driver. Um, Today we're talking about something that none of us need help with. What I'm talking about today is for the other churches. Um, So (laughs) they struggle in this area. So I'm going to talk to us about how we can help them, all right? Uh, Today we're talking about prejudice, the irony. Uh, I'm going to jump straight into the text, so we're just going to rip the plaster off today. Because this, this, this is a scripture that all of us need. It is God-breathed scripture. So James 2, verse 1 to 13. It'll be on the screen. If you've got your Bible, you're welcome to follow there. My dear brothers and sisters, this is James speaking. How can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? How's that for a start? My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? Immediately, we want to say, like, James, relax. You don't have to shout at us. You know, it's like, it's quite an intense introduction. For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person... But you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? So when we discriminate, it means that our motives are sketchy and we're driven by evil. (laughs) Says James. (laughs) Listen to me, my dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. 
Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed. It is good when you obey the royal laws found in Scripture. Love your neighbor as yourself. Listen to this. How hard-hitting is this for the other churches? <laughs> but if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you've still broken the law. So whatever you say, <laughs> I've got this little bug here, sorry. Whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. Listen to this. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. And with that, all of us want to get in a ball, climb under our chairs, rock ourselves to sleep, feel guilty about life. I remember when I was young, I used to, I used to think that if I closed my eyes, I went invisible. <laughs> like, like well, I mean, I must seem pretty young. I, 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 probably, I, probably, I knew I wasn't invisible, but it, it helped, right? So if someone was moaning at me, you're just like... Go, do what you want. You know, I'm not there. This is how we can feel when we read the scripture. It can't see me, and I can't see it. So let's just close our eyes, hope it goes away, and move on. Uh, James in the scripture, he, uses, he illustrates two people visiting the church. One rich and one poor. The rich guy, oh, come sit in the front, you know, like special attention for you. The poor guy, stand at the back. The rich guy. Here is honor and preference and privilege, comfortable seats. Poor guy, stand at the back. You see, all of us have a bias. All of us have a bias. I mean, if all of the other churches have a bias, and we need to tell them about their bias. All of us are kingdom ambassadors. Everyone in this room is a kingdom ambassador. And when we have a bias, it's like having a gun with a bent barrel that pulls us off target. So the gospel needs them and away from sharing the gospel as I'm supposed to. James warns us, if you're taking notes, write this down, it won't be on the screen, to never let our preference become our prejudice. We never let our preference become our prejudice because it doesn't reflect Jesus and it essentially becomes a hindrance to the gospel. The very structure of hierarchy that Jesus came to tear down, for some reason, we try to reestablish. And it's wrong. And a bias is like having blurry vision and blind spots. When we have a bias, we look at the world through certain lenses, it's like having blurry vision and blind spots. You know, I know me, I have no prejudice. There's nothing like that in my heart. I can see clearly. When it comes to our vision, our eyes have light-sensitive cells, which send messages to our brain telling us what we see. And there are times when our vision is blurry, especially when you get to my age and older. All of a sudden, the phone is getting like, my arm's getting too short for the phone. Uh, then, all of us have a little spot in the retina where the optic nerve connects, and this area has no light-sensitive cells. It's at the back of the eye where the nerve connects, and this is called your blind spot. So what I've got, we can cut this out the video, fun for those in the room, this little piece of paper. You got a little piece of paper. <laughs> now, you don't have to participate if you feel awkward. 
look at this piece of paper. Cover your right eye with your hand. And then if you hold this, the piece of paper about 30 centimeters away, some of you probably can't see the paper at all. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm not... I'm just, you, and then you, 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 hold, you hold and you stare at the X. Stare at the X. Cover your right eye and stare at the X. And what happens is if you get the distance just right, that little dot disappears. So you close your right eye, and anyway, we, we could play with this all day. You keep that piece of paper, and what you have essentially done is when you are doing this, I should have got a picture of that around the church. <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, and, and that little blind spot, so everyone has a blind spot. Maybe you just couldn't figure yours out yet, and you'll find it. But all of us have a blind spot, and that's like prejudice or a bias. We think we can see clearly, but the truth is we've got blind spots. And if we don't recognize those blind spots, we can put ourselves in a dangerous situation. Prejudice can be like those blind spots. We have prejudice, but we don't believe we've got prejudice because we can't see prejudice, so therefore we don't deal with the prejudice that's in our hearts. So this scripture is not about making us feel bad that we've got blurry vision and blind spots. It's about putting the right filters in place so that we can see clearly and eliminate our blind spots so the gospel can effectively flow through our lives and reach the people that God's called us to reach without having preference, prejudice, and bias. So we want to reflect Jesus properly. And this is important because how we see people, this will be on the screen, is an indication of what we really believe about God. How we see people is an indication of what we really believe about God. So today we'll look at four filters that we need to put in place in order to see clearly because how we see people will determine how we treat people. How you see people, if you see somebody as rubbish, that's exactly how you'll treat them. If you see somebody as a gift from God that's valuable, then that's how you'll treat them. How we see people determines how we treat them. So... What are the filters that we need to put in place to eliminate our blind spots? Filter number one, Jesus. Jesus is absolutely, mind-blowingly, incomprehensibly humble. The more you, the more you just get to know Jesus, the more our eyes are opened, the more we realize how incredibly humble God is. Do you know you meet that person that has, you know, like those people that are just absolutely all-round impressive. They have this long list of accomplishments and accolades and achievements, and then you caught a fish this big, and that's, you know, like they use that size fish for their bait because they, you know, like they're just bigger in every way. From their perspective, I'm the CEO of this multi-billion dollar international company. I have eight holiday houses, three super yachts and an island, invented the light bulb, have a scratch handicap at golf. Imagine that person sitting down with Jesus. What's your claim to fame? I'm God. He could say, I created the universe that holds the little planet that your little island is on. (laughs) And you only exist because I give you life. But no, absolutely humble. Not elevated with a sense of supreme superiority. You know, I outrank everybody. He just didn't have that approach. He could have, but he didn't. So two questions to ask when filtering our our perspective through a relationship with Jesus. How does Jesus see people? Is how did Jesus see people, and how did the people see Jesus? 
So how did Jesus see people? Jesus looked straight through all the outside stuff and straight into the heart. Imagine us as a church with that passion to see people that way, where we look through the outside, straight to the inside, and we deal with that. Matthew 22, verse 16 says, they, spent some, they sent some men to Jesus. They were some of their own followers and some from the group called Herodians. They said, teacher, we know that you're an honest man. We know you teach the truth about God's way. You are not afraid of what others think about you. Imagine that for us. We are not afraid about what others think about you. All people are the same to you. All people. The people that we rank at the bottom of the food chain and those we put to God, they are all the same. So you own a super yacht and you are broken, broken. We see prosperity and problems. God sees potential that will be unlocked through faith in both. Jesus looks past and through our past, our problems, or our prosperity to discover our purpose. Imagine a church that look at people and don't see the past and don't see the problems, but see the potential and the promise of God in their lives and draw that out. That's gospel effective. So, so you're a tax collector. Come. You're a fisherman. Come. You are very, very wealthy. Beautiful super yacht. Come. You struggle with sin, come. You've made mistakes, come. The Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, before achieving anything for God, he was this Pharisee, and he was an absolutely outstanding religious figure. He was just, his religious CV was flawless, absolutely outstanding, and guess what? It didn't qualify him at all. Before he was saved, he was a church-persecuting murderer, And it didn't disqualify him. What we think qualifies and what we think disqualifies are completely different through the eyes of God. God unlocked Paul. He knocked him off his high horse. And in a place of humility and repentance, unlocked his purpose and potential. And then it took another another man named Barnabas to say, I know what you've done in your past. I know this thing that's following you around, but I'm going to look through your past into your potential, and I'm going to trust God with you. And he opened doors for him. Imagine all of us as Barnabases to other people that have been written off, unlocking their full potential so they can walk in the things of God. So what we think qualifies and disqualifies often is irrelevant to God. It doesn't swim in the slightest. Jesus is looking for willing, humble, repentant people, no matter how impressive or unimpressive the packaging may be. You arrive in your Lamborghini, you walk with your pants with holes in them, Jesus looks for the potential beyond the past and the packaging. So how did people see Jesus? I, I, I read this scripture when I was prepping, and I was like, oh, no, I'll just use that verse. And then I read the next verse. I was like, no, I can't leave that part out. And then I read the next verse. So we're going to read from Genesis to Revelation. No, we're going to read uh, uh, Isaiah. (laughs) It's also good. Um, Isaiah 53, verse 1 to 9. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? Now, this is talking about Jesus, our God. My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. 
He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised, yet in our weakness, he, it, in, it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his trouble were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was like a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He had every right to. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared, and he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. He was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal he was put in a rich man's grave. If Jesus visited the church that James is talking to, the rich people would have sat in the front while God Almighty stood at the back. We established the structure, and God just came and broke it all apart. Jesus grew up in poverty from a town with a bad reputation. He had no formal education, no office of power, had nothing attractive about his appearance, and was followed around by a bunch of sinners, yet was God. Wow. This just takes our standard of judgment and puts it on its head. Uh, there's a, a show called Undercover Bosses. Anyone ever seen that? I've only watched a few episodes uh, where the CEO of this, like, massive international company will go and work at the very bottom of the food chain just to see how it is at the bottom. And then they get bullied by some power-hungry manager that doesn't know that they're dealing with their boss's 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 boss. <laughs> and I can just think to myself, God was Emmanuel, God himself, the all-powerful creator of the universe, comes to earth and he says this, stop judging by the way things look. Be fair and judge by what is really right. We put people in a box. You belong there because you've done that and that's who you are. And everyone else, oh no, you know, you've got something fancy. Come to the front. We filter it through and God Almighty would have been standing at the back. We don't want to be those people. John 7 verse 24. Stop judging by the way things look. Be fair and judge by what is really right. And their filter, when they looked at him, oh, what do you know? Poor guy from Nazareth. So Jesus didn't give more attention or less attention because they were rich or poor, young or old, male or female, black and white. He completely broke the mold when it came to external appearances. And in that, he encourages us to see people through his eyes, created in the image of God, infused with godly potential. And we know that God can take the most unlikely people in the world and make them powerfully effective for his kingdom. And imagine that person came to us, and I know that I've shared this before. Some of you were here that day. A guy came to church. He came through, and he stood there, and he, you could smell him. 
pretty much from here to there. And, and he, was, he was dirty. His fingernails were dirty. And he was living in his car. He said, can I chat to you after the service? So I said, yeah, no, no. I went and chatted to him. And he said to me, hey, can I join your worship team? What would you say? So I thought to myself, straight away, not a single chance can you join our worship team. Absolutely no. That was in my head. And God spoke to me. So real. God said to me, did you just write somebody off that I didn't? My heart was broken. I couldn't say to him, yeah, of course, join the worship team. You know, there's, there's, there's got to be some process to that thing. So I just said to him, why don't we journey for a while and get to know each other and let's trust God to go somewhere. That was the last time he visited. He didn't come back. But God used that man to absolutely change my heart. I had put a box on, put him in a box and God said, that's not my box for him. And then later that day, he was, I heard they were playing from the sound desk, they were playing classical music. He was a professor of piano that had really fallen on hard times and he was struggling. And he sat and he played from the front there and it was absolutely beautiful. And obviously you can't just say, well, you've got to give to you on the, on the team. But I just thought to myself, this man was full of potential. He just needed somebody to love him enough to walk that through. He didn't come back, but God really spoke to me. Do we write people off that God hasn't? Filter number two, you're all with me. Filter number two, grace. Filter one, I walk with Jesus. Lord Jesus, what do you see? How do you see people? How did people treat you? How did you treat other people? I want to understand that. Filter number two, grace. James 2, verse 5 to 7. Listen to me, my dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? We need to all remember this. We are not saved by merit. We are saved by grace. It is the grace of God that saved us, not our beautiful achievements. We cannot earn, achieve, and we do not deserve salvation. All people are sinners. We are all broken. We all deserve health, fairly speaking. Yet God, by His grace, said, I will choose to save you. And all we can do is say, thank you, Jesus. If I can be useful in reaching others, then please use me. An illustration I've used before. All of us, are, it's like in our sin, we are chained underwater. And you might think, I lived such a good life, I only did like a white light once. And you are two millimeters from the surface. But guess what? Whether you're two millimeters from the surface or 200 meters down, either way, you're going to drown. And God comes and he breaks the chains and he pulls us out of our sin. And then we can't say, well, I wasn't as deep as you. We were both drowning and God saved us both. Thank you, Jesus. We are saved by grace. Outside of grace, we would all drown in our sin. So when we look at other people, we remember grace to me, grace through me. God showed me grace, therefore... It's only fair that I show others grace. I was poor and broken, now I'm rich in faith. And I understand that there's spiritual wealth and physical wealth, and sometimes, I mean, we would love both. 
but sometimes our physical wealth can actually become a hindrance to the gospel. My brother lives in France, and I was just telling him, CJ and Lydia, Ryan and Lisa, these are our neighbors. These are our friends. They live next door, you know? And I was just talking about how nice it is that we have our, our, our friends become our families who are our neighbors, and they come to church with us, and we get to celebrate in life group together, and we get to celebrate in church together. And he said, oh, my neighbors don't need Jesus. He's being facetious. He preaches in his church in France. And the, the point is, he's like, they have everything they need. They live in France, big property, nice, everything is comfortable. And that very thing that God's blessed them with has become a hindrance. And it's not God's fault. It's because they think, who? I don't need God. Yet there's other people that are in desperate situations. We cry to God and God saves us. It is by grace that we are saved. And when our eyes are open to the fact that it's not something I can earn or achieve, then I just become eternally grateful. Then on Sundays, it's not about singing songs. It's about worship. Wow, I've been saved. It's massive. For me, anyway. (laughs) Um, So, to be rich in this world and the next would be wonderful, but... The most valuable thing in this world is faith in Jesus Christ. You can have a person who lives in full of faith, loves Jesus, but has nothing this world has to offer. Someone else who has everything this world has to offer. Who would you rather be? And let's not forget how blessed we are. So, to avoid discrimination, we filter our perspective through Jesus, through grace, and then through Scripture. James 2 verse 8 to 9. Yes, indeed, it was good when you obey the royal laws found in Scripture. Love your neighbor as yourself, but if you favor some people over others, you're committing a sin, you're guilty of breaking the law. Last week, Charlotte spoke about faith in action, and Scripture calls us to love our neighbor. Listen to this quote. Warren Wesby says, To love our neighbor is not a matter of geography, but opportunity. So we can't be like, Ah, well, they're not technically my neighbor, so (laughs) I'm just going to go around. The gospel, when you think about it, Lord, help me to love other people and not discriminate, not put people in boxes. And by the way, we all have a bias. I'm not just saying I'm standing here without one. I'm trusting God to eliminate the bias. But it's not a matter of geography. It's a matter of opportunity. Scripture teaches us what love is and why to love and how to love. But when we have prejudice, it removes the love from our lives. And then we don't look at people through the eyes of Jesus. We look at them through our filters. And then instead of loving them with the good news of the gospel because we want to see them saved, we go, eh, box for you, stay away. When you guys tell this message to the other churches, they're going to be so blessed. Um, Listen to this amazing quote. Christian love does not mean that I must like a person and agree with him on everything. I may not like his vocabulary or his habits, and I may not want for him to be an immediate friend. Christian love means treating others the way God has treated me. It is an act of the will, not an emotion that I try to manufacture. The motive is to glorify God. Biblical love moves us from where we are to where we are supposed to be. And when we carry that same love for others, we don't see where they are, we see where they could be, and then God gives us the grace to walk with them to that space. How's this for an interesting thought? We only believe as much of the Bible as we practice. We only believe as much of the Bible as we practice. So we filter things through grace, through Scripture, through Jesus, and lastly, everything will be filtered through God's judgment. James two twelve to 13. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. 
But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. In Scripture, this Scripture is, is talking about status, not sin. How we deal with sin is one thing, but we cannot set up a rank of status and think that some people are better or more valuable than others because we're not. Nobody. I know my official title is Grandmaster, Humble Apostle, Pastor Peterson. Um, <laughs> titles, rank, position, wealth mean nothing. God is looking for a submitted, willing, surrendered heart. And when we see other people and we go, that's the box for you, we caught up with the external and we miss what's going on on the inside. We can all be eternally grateful that as believers we will not be judged according to our sin. So when God calls us as equals, who are we to make one person better than another? It doesn't reflect the heart of Jesus. I missed some stuff, but we're going to pray. Um, before we pray, will the ministry teams, Stewie? Um, no, not the worship team, the Isaac, Ricky, Donnie and Paula, Kanyela for ons bit some as I believe. So, I want to remind you, this ministry team are not for specifically for whatever is being preached. There's a scripture, and I wanted to find it this morning. I think it's can, maybe if you know it in your head, you can shout out where it is. The scripture says, you do not receive because you do not ask. So I want us to be a church that live in everything God intended for our lives because we ask him for everything he called for us and we make ourselves willing to obey him in everything he gives us and does for us. So this team that are standing up front here are not to pray specifically into this thing. It's to pray into anything. So if you want to just come up and say, hey, I've got a testimony, or I need prayer for something, or I'm not completely healed, Tim prayed in the beginning of the service, and I still have this problem, let's trust God that he will move. So in other words, when the service ends, it's not finished. God can continue to do whatever God wants to do. So if you have any prayer need at all, I encourage you, come up and get prayer. In the meantime, let's stand together and we'll pray. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that we won't be people that have a bias that pulls us away from being effective with the gospel because we have other racism, sexism, whateverism in our hearts, Lord Jesus. I thank you that we will see people through your eyes. You will give us divine wisdom as to how to deal with people, how to walk with them, how to see them come through. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we won't be so have such big blind spots that we put ourselves in dangerous situations. I pray, Lord, that if there's people in our hearts now that we realize that we've boxed based on status, that this morning we repent. It's a sin. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that we will be an expression of your love to the world. We love because you first loved us. You have been good to us. You have been kind to us. You have been faithful to us, despite our problems. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, we will show the same grace to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.